everyone, and welcome to the Science and Policy Exchange podcast. My name is Sissy. I'm Linda. And I'm Heloise. And we are news researchers at Science and Policy Exchange, or SPE for short. We'll be bringing you all the latest science policy news from within Canada and around the world, as well as letting you know about upcoming policy events within the country. Today's episode is a special focusing on the war in Ukraine and the Canadian efforts currently undertaken to help Ukrainian researchers, both remotely and here in Canada. We'll start with an interview with the Canadian National Coordinator of Science for Ukraine, Brokoslav Leskovsky before talking with Sarah Overington, Director of Science and Engineering Promotion at the Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council of Canada, or ENSIC, about the Special Response Fund for trainees supporting Ukrainian researchers. We'll end off with a roundtable interview with three students, Alex Tsepa, Roman Burakov, and Dima Kosmenko, working with Dr. Laskovsky through the Science for Ukraine initiative. So without further ado, welcome to SPE Talks. Thank you so much for coming today. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And let's just start off with, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the initiative, can you explain what Science for Ukraine is and what your role in Canada has been so far? Science for Ukraine is an initiative that uh, that I helped develop, um, but it was created by uh, some researchers in Europe. And we primarily contacted uh, each other through Twitter and we got together and thought, you know, creating an initiative to support Ukrainian scholars, uh, both researchers as well as students, could be uh, very beneficial. And so uh, we started generating a list of different institutions throughout the world that would be willing and able to provide resources and support to those who have been affected by the war. Um, this doesn't necessarily have to be. Ukrainian nationals, it could be even visiting students within Ukraine that were also displaced. And so Science for Ukraine is really this kind of community-based initiative, um, and it's divided into an executive branch, and then there are uh, individual national coordinators. At the very beginning of Science for Ukraine, I played a little bit more of a central role, um, but then since have kind of taken a, a smaller role and have just uh, been a national coordinator for Canada. I'm, I'm based out of Canada. The role of each national coordinator for a respective country is to coordinate efforts within that country. And so this includes things like receiving job advertisements or support programs within a country and posting them on Science for Ukraine within our database. Um, and then also engaging with different universities and funding agencies within each of these countries. So like in Canada, this would be uh, NSERC, which is the uh, Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council of Canada. Uh, there's also uh, agencies like CIHR, which I think stands for the Canadian Institute for Health Research. We are essentially the middleman between host institutions and host countries and those who are directly affected by the war. And it's, it's really our role for Science for Ukraine is to generate a database, a platform for those affected by the war in Ukraine to come to our platform and all of the resources are there. We also engage with a number of different entities within Ukraine, both at the uh, ministry level, but then also at the university level as to how we can provide support through 
um, our resources. It's amazing. I've seen the website and it's very detailed. It's not just academic resources, but also if you are planning to go to that country, how do you immigrate? What documents do you need? If there are organizations in Canada interested in helping or students interested in helping, how should they best get in contact with Science for Ukraine or with you? If you're interested in getting in contact with myself, uh, you can just Google my name, Grokoslav Lashowski. Feel free to email me, uh, message me on Twitter. I'm very approachable. Um, if you're interested in Science for Ukraine, uh, definitely check out our website. And uh, again, we provide easy access to all of our emails and Twitter accounts. And please feel free to reach out directly and, uh, uh, and see like, you know, how could you get involved? Um, some of the things that you could do uh, if you're specifically interested in science for Ukraine is to help your national coordinator. So depending on where you live, say you live in Canada, please reach out to me directly. And if you are, for example, a student at McMaster University or the University of British Columbia or uh, any other university, uh, we could then use your resources and your connections within that university to better engage uh, your host, your home institution. Um, and so as opposed to just myself reaching out and working through my own network, uh, we could then really benefit from having uh, local champions at each institution that can help provide a communication platform between myself as the national coordinator and the individual uh, universities. And I, I think it's important for me to also communicate so over the past Several months, I've literally been in contact with hundreds, if may not over a thousand uh, people, students and scientists from Ukraine. And they almost all reiterate what you've probably heard in the news is that if you're interested in getting involved or showing support, or yes, donate, send supplies, humanitarian aid, write to your local you know, municipalities, uh, write to your governments, ask them, you know, try to encourage them to provide more support. But then it's interesting that almost everybody always echoes that they want you to keep discussing the war, keep talking about the war, keep bringing awareness to the war. These atrocities are still ongoing and in some cases are ramping up in certain parts. Um, it is important that we as global citizens bring awareness to these atrocities and that we don't let this news die out over time. Um, as long as the war is ongoing, it's important, uh, for, you know, to talk about what is happening. Is there a particular resource that you feel like either Science for Ukraine or you with any of these, with any of the initiatives that you've mentioned, um, a particular resource that is most needed at the moment? It's a great question. A lot of attention is being brought on the the humanitarian crisis and the refugee crisis that's happening. A lot of people have been displaced from Ukraine millions, and it's absolutely terrible. And we need to be able to support these individuals. And I would say that most support efforts have been geared towards that. It's important to keep in mind that the overwhelming majority of Ukrainians are still in Ukraine, the overwhelming majority. How do we support these individuals? If you talk to many universities, you'll soon find out that it is very challenging to hire for remote work. We've actually been able to contract some remote work at the University of Toronto, and this was led by myself and my supervisor, uh, Alex Nihilidis, and we've been able to, to do that. We are one of few 
examples in the world that have been able to do this. It's been very, very challenging. So a lot of members at Science for Ukraine, I've been working with them to see if we can implement similar initiatives at other universities, because at least my conversations with the executive committee at Science for Ukraine is that we at the University of Toronto are one of few that have been able to make this happen. And I would, I would really advocate those who are either within the industry setting or in the academic setting to speak to your HR department, speak to your legal departments, talk to your supervisors, see how can you provide remote support, whether this be through employment, contracts, internships, both paid and non-paid. Um, remote positions are going to be incredibly important that we can support those who are still in Ukraine, either by law or by choice. Um, and we uh, don't want to neglect those who are there um, and allow and give them a platform to continue to earn income, to develop as scientists and engineers and you know, mathematicians and all these other disciplines. And that the war does not extinguish or does not impede, maybe impede the development of this next generation of innovators in Ukraine and that science in Ukraine does not die or does not, uh, is not hindered because of this war. That's an incredibly important point. Thank you for bringing that up. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you'd like our listeners to know? I would encourage your listeners to check out Science for Ukraine. I would encourage your listeners to work with your local institutions and your governments to see how you can provide support. And I'll end by, again, reiterating that it's important we continue to bring awareness to the war and the uh, the war crimes that are being committed back in Ukraine. And we continue the conversation, rally for support, and pray that the war will soon end and the recovery effort can begin. And that recovery effort, that, that's a long-term project. And so it's great that people are providing immediate assistance during the war, and we are trying to uh, control the flames. But uh, it, there is going to be much help that is needed over uh, many years to come with restoring and rebuilding Ukraine. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Yes, thank you very much. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today on SP Talks. Sure, it's a pleasure to be here. I have a few questions about the Special Response Fund for trainees. The first one is, could you describe to our listeners that may not be aware of this, of what the fund is? So in response to a statement by the Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry and the Minister of Health calling for measures to support Ukrainian research personnel, uh, CIHR, the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, the Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council of Canada, NSERC, and SHIRC, the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, established a limited uh, time special response fund for trainees to initiate or maintain the employment or financial support of trainees who are directly impacted by the crisis. So this was really recognizing how the crisis in Ukraine may affect the research landscape. And so the additional funding is meant to support grant holders to support trainees 
uh, graduate students or postdocs through salaries and stipends. Um, and I guess just to mention that support can be is for a period of up to a year and with maximum allowable amounts that are um, by level. So there's up to 20,000 at the master's level, 25,000 uh, doctoral level, and 45,000 for postdocs. Amazing. How does the application process work for a student in Ukraine who might be interested? So the application is through the grant holder. So eligible grant holders uh, for the agencies uh, just need to submit a short application form to the agency. And that just requests the funds to initiate their employment and support of the student. And that fund needs to, or the application just needs to attest that they meet a number of requirements. So they need to um, attest that the trainee will participate in research activities associated with the cost of the grant, that the trainee is not benefiting from other tri-agency funding, that the support would end or not be possible with this, um, with the, if they didn't receive these funds, and also that the trainee is directly impacted by the crisis in Ukraine. And by that, we're really looking at trainees who are currently in Canada and were expected to return to Ukraine in 2022, um, but cannot because of the current crisis, or also who can't continue their current studies um, or research in Ukraine because of the crisis, and they're now in Canada. And so in those cases, the, the grantee will apply, but the trainee needs to be in Canada at the time of application and for the duration of the support. What is the best way for Ukrainians that have now arrived in Canada to find a grantee since they might not be as familiar with our system? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, and I guess just before I get into that, I wanted to mention that trainees um, don't need to be Ukrainian citizens to be eligible, eligible for the support. They really just need to meet um, the criteria that I mentioned before to be eligible. If they do, then the first thing is that they would need to identify a grant holder they can work with. Um, we aren't actively matching up students and grantees, but NSERC, SHRC, and CIHR all have exhaustive online databases where you can find information related to grants and funding through tri-agency programming. And a trainee could search for keywords or apply specific filters when, when looking for a search and then is uh, invited to reach out to that, that researcher. But we are also aware of other efforts that are happening. So we encourage um, trainees to, to look online at a number of other resources that are looking to, uh, third-party resources that are looking to match up researchers and trainees. Perfect. We will put a link in the podcast description to that directory. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today and for telling us more about the Special Response Fund. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. Welcome to SPE Talks. It is a pleasure to have you all here. Why don't we just start with a quick introduction from each of you about who you are and how the war has affected your work and research. I am Alex. Uh, I'm finishing my bachelor's degree from the Kiev University, uh, Kiev Polytechnic Institute. And, uh, you know, I didn't I just couldn't expect that the war uh, might start. I heard a lot of like uh, strange news about it, but I couldn't even believe in it. And the uh, first few days since it started, I just was scrolling the news and couldn't leave my phone alone. I was worried about my dad because he was in the uh, Ukrainian army. Yeah, I'm still worried, but uh, currently a little bit less because uh, it's more safer in the Kiev. The most thing that helped 
me is for the work because uh, I just could uh, dive into it and uh, don't think about like uh, about that uh, awful things. Hi everyone, my name is Dima. I'm a Ukrainian master student at the University of Kiev Academy. I'm also a, an AI researcher. I've been working a couple of years already as ML, as an ML engineer. Honestly, I, I'm kind of in the same shoes as Alex in terms of not having expected the world the world to break out to, to the very last moment and I just didn't believe it and first first few few weeks especially few, very few first few days maybe like three five were really shocking and quite quite extreme I would say but uh, I, I didn't really uh, get disoriented that much I managed to pull myself like together and just actually started a, a like cyber volunteering organization in, in, in my university and, like led the machine learning department there so uh, not only did I, did I did I distract myself and did something good but also did distract some other people some of the young uh, talented guys we have to actually have their thoughts occupied with doing something useful and actually improving themselves and then uh, at some point Brock reached out to me um, Mr. Dr. Lashowski and basically suggested that we might just try this opportunity to enroll in this program, the summer program. So at this very point, I'm just doing my best. And the moment I'm in Kiev, basically guys are in Canada, whereas I'm at the moment uh, in Ukraine. Um, it's much, much, much smoother, much better here right now, much safer and calmer, I would say. But still, sometimes we get like alarming news. And sometimes like there are definitely uh, air alerts. Um, so gotta watch out, I would say. Yeah. Hi, sir. <laughs> My name is Roman. Uh, I'm a data scientist from Ukraine, obviously, from Mariupol specifically. Uh, I've been doing data science since pretty much high school, I believe. So I've been working in this uh, scientific past for like over four years now. Um, before I started, uh, I was in Croatia. I was just working remotely and enjoying my life uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and I got basically what woke like 6 a.m. by a friend from Kyiv who just said, oh, the war has started uh, missiling like all of the Ukraine. And yeah, as both, as like both Dima and Alex, I was very shocked. And like, I wasn't there. So it just sounded so unreal. Like, I just couldn't believe that something has started. And like, I'm sitting here in Croatia and my friends and relatives are somewhere there getting bombed uh yeah so that was just unbelievable and it's it was kind of difficult because i was just scroll for the first something i was just sitting and scrolling the news feed because i wasn't in ukraine and it's like a terrifying scene that you don't know what's happening there with your friends and family and currently i'm working with alex and dima uh, in a wearable robotics group at the university of uh, toronto doing mesh learning research um, exoskeletons and stuff do you think that at the moment this opportunity is really just broadcasted to very specific groups and that we need to do a better job of telling scientists in ukraine that there is this opportunity to come to canada and that we are very down to support well personally i found it through the university because UT is uh, like deeply connected with uh, Kimberley Academy in terms of like exchange programs and stuff, and it was fairly easy to uh, know about this opportunity. And I would say that Canada is doing quite a good job, but uh, like spreading the 
information about the opportunities in the Science for Ukraine program, for example. But what I think is that a lot of Ukrainian scientists that are not from like top universities or this uh, high scale community, uh, they don't really comfortable, I think, to apply for those programs. And like, I know a couple of friends who could pass like easily, I think, but they were just uh, not too sure about their, their ability to go and try. And I feel like it would help to uh, motivate people and say that it's not like something difficult. It's not something uh, horrible. Just go and try it. Yeah, you know, I got like the opposite situation to the Roma say in my university is like the biggest one in Ukraine, the biggest one technical university. I just uh, didn't see anything uh, in the local news feed. It's a great program with some payment. It gives you a place for living and uh, a great opportunity to work, to understand the other cultures and so on and so forth. But as Roma mentioned before, some bright students just uh, can't enter here because they simply don't know about it. So I think uh, it would be much better to make communication with universities, with uh, some Ukrainian, not only news, but some websites. It's a little bit better to just share the information about it. But for those in the audience who might not know what Science for Ukraine is or what the NSERC Special Response Fund is, um, would one of you like to step in and maybe explain a little bit what the program has been doing and how it brought you to Canada? You know, the very first, uh, very first weeks the war broke out, uh, I did find a lot, I did come across like in my, uh, like uh, the groups on the Facebook or somewhere else or in Slack of the communities I'm in, a lot of opportunities for Ukrainian scientists back then, like in the beginning, in the beginning of March or something, it wasn't as like uh, consolidated and like uh, concentrated in one like certain organization called Science for Ukraine. Back then, it was just like kind of like these dispersed uh, offerings, maybe some kind of like uh, potential scholarships, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then they just uh, did a really great great job on this creating this like long Excel list with different countries, different. Uh, uh, subfields, directions, etc., for like both bachelors and masters, and even some um, postgrad students. Uh, so I really like that. And what is more, they have this. I, I remember opening that cool map of theirs for the very first time when they have like this uh, whole the whole world of like certain amount of opportunities for everyone, and you can find something for yourself there. Yeah. So for me, it was like the program Science for Ukraine did a pretty big role since uh, when the war started. I was working in like the biggest Ukrainian retail company. And uh, we had a very, very huge shortening of our research department. And at the time I was in Prague and I got actually shortened. And the Science for Ukraine initiative it helped me connect with uh, Czech Technical University in Prague at this, uh, at this time, and I could fairly easy find uh, like a place to stay, um, to work in and do my research. Uh, and it also like I didn't know about the UFT opportunity from the science of it, from for Ukraine program, but I know that it was also hugely advertiser. To give more details uh, about the UFT part in uh, Science for Ukraine, as the war started, like uh, in. Uh, in a month, I think the Canada uh, make uh, easier to receive uh, visas for Ukrainians uh, via the CUAT program. The university just asked us to start receiving visa in the same time uh, of where we was interviewing. I think the most harder one 
was just simply to receive a visa because uh, there was a lot of issues for men who were living in Ukraine. You had to get a lot of certificates and so on and so forth and uh, to pass the biometry. And then uh, as we arrived, uh, we received place in the dorms, uh, stipends and insurance and uh, so on and so forth, yeah. So we like fully equipped. Okay, and just to clarify, the CUAT program is? Canadian visa uh, for Ukrainians. The important thing is that uh, this CUAT program requires people to give biometrics to enter Canada, which is not really possible for people inside Ukraine, especially if you're a male and you can't leave Canada for a day trip to just submit your biometrics. Since middle of April, I think uh, the Canadian embassy has returned to Ukraine, but uh, the VACs, so the visa centers, they are not uh, working right now. So for some, for certain reasons, of course. But uh, this this means basically that the only way to like turn in my biometrics, if I had to, would be to like cross the border and do it from the from some other country, for instance, like from Poland. And this is a bit like problematic. So I feel like it would be much better if Canada could allow, because I know it was really such a thing as like uh, to register for biometrics at the point, point of entry. If Canada could allow that for people from Ukraine, uh, especially for males to do that in Canada, and it would really simplify the process of applying for a visa and coming to Canada for male scientists. And also, I feel like there's a huge tendency to like hire people from hire Ukrainian scientists to Canada, which is not very good for the science in Ukraine itself, since Canada is basically taking this like Ukrainian specialists. And I feel like when Ukraine wins a war, it would make much more sense to reverse opportunities to get Canadian scientists to come to Ukraine and show Ukraine what science really is, what is a high high scale scientific research and open opportunities in Ukraine. And I feel like it would be much more beneficial for both parties. Is there anything I haven't asked that you'd like our listeners to know? I think that uh, it's quite simple that even in awful situations, uh, the lives go on and you simply can find more opportunities than you had before and set up and upgrade your life uh, and then help your country in our case. Maybe I would just add like an advice to care about your mental health, about the state of uh, your mind, because that's really important and like some toxic productivity will, will never lead you to something good. You should in the first place care about yourself your health and uh, only when you have a strong foundation you can really achieve something unbelievable and work yeah and the last thing i think the closing word i guess is that this is definitely a great opportunity uh, both like for uh, ukrainian researchers and people who have been displaced uh, as, as well as for um, Canadian uh, educational institutions. And this is basically a great uh, beginning, which we have to nourish, which we have to develop and grow into something bigger and a great cooperation between two uh, uh, undoubtedly uh, powerful and great countries in terms of research, not only that. So um, I'm looking forward to um, visiting Canada one day. <laughs> yeah. We're looking forward to having you. <laughs> Subscribe. Subscribe.
And here's your summer update on upcoming events. The SPE Cafe, Unlocking Science, The Rise of Open Science in Canada, Perspectives from Early Career Researchers, will take place tomorrow on June 2nd from 12 to 1.30 p.m. Eastern. The cafe is a space to spark discussion, and you can register to participate by clicking the link in the podcast description. The SBE Public Forum, Nutrition in the Age of Misinformation, will happen later this month on June 23rd at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. The public forums are the perfect opportunity to ask questions and engage with leading experts in research and policy. Again, to register, you can find the link in the podcast description. And that's it from us. We are Science and Policy Exchange, or SPE for short, and we're a Montreal-based nonprofit organization aiming to foster the student voice and evidence-based decision-making and to bring together leading experts from academia, industry, and government to engage and inform students and the public on issues at the interface of science and policy. We're one of the few bilingual student-led initiatives directly engaging the local political scenes and effectively bridging the gap between academia, industry, and government leaders. And if you'd like to join us, we encourage you to visit our website at sp-exchange.ca and fill out the registration form in the Get Involved tab or send us an email. You can also find the link and email in the podcast description. If you have a particular science policy piece that you'd like us to feature in future episodes, please contact the news researchers at SPE or interact with us on social media using the hashtag SPE Talks. Thanks again, and until next time. Soundstripe.